If you have a Bible, hopefully you do, please take it and open it to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, that's where we're going to be today. Uh, Before uh, I read from Colossians 3, I am going to quote one verse from the Old Testament in just a minute, but turn to Colossians 3. Um, Today, if you're not awake yet, it's January 24th, and we're no longer in 2015, this is 2016. A new year is upon us, and for some of us, some of our New Year's resolutions have already crashed and burned. <laughs> you know, I, go, I work out at the gym. I'm not, Jose is in amazing shape. He's running marathons. I just try to do 45 minutes on machines. But anyway, so he puts me to shame. But I've noticed the gym is really crowded in January and February. <laughs> By March, it's really easier to get a machine. <laughs> People start, you know, the New Year's resolution's gone. But there's still something about a new year. It's, it's kind of a clean slate. Um, uh, a new beginning, so to speak. And we all kind of look and we, we hope we do well. We pray that we will do well. And we want things to go well with us. And the message that I want to share with you today, I've entitled it, That It May Go Well With You. And it's going to be from Colossians 3, but here's where I got that phrase. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 29. You don't need to turn there. Moses has recorded these words that God gave to him to say to his people. And if you belong to Jesus today, you're part of God's family. And he would say this to you as well. And God is speaking here. Oh, that they, my people had such a heart in them that they would fear me or reverence me and keep all my commandments always. Here's why that it may go well with them and with their children forever. When God says, I want you to follow my son, Jesus And have him be your king, like we sang, and him be your Lord. And I want you to obey my commandments. It's not because he's some dictator and he wants you to obey all the rules or he's going to slap you around. No, it's so that it will go well with you and with your children after you. That's why my wife and I love that we get to help parents raise passionate Jesus followers. Because when mom and dad are following Jesus and walking in the spirit and sharing Jesus with their kids and they give their lives to him, then they will turn around and give, lead their kids to faith in Christ. And it will go well with you and with your kids forever. But you can just feel God's love and compassion here where he says, keep my commandments and reverence me that it may go well with you. That's God's heart. He loves you so much. I don't know about you, but that's what I want for 2016. Whatever's coming my way, I don't know. The Bible says we're just a vapor. We don't know what tomorrow will bring, but every day we can choose to walk with the Lord. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. If any man or woman will follow me, they'll never walk in darkness. They'll always have the light of light, and he is the light of the world. And so as we follow him, things go well with us, even if we go through hard times. So with that phrase in mind, that it may go well with you, I want to look at some verses in Colossians chapter 3. The Lord clearly has led me to teach on this. I, I actually shared this at Westside a couple of weeks ago, and I was going to do something different, and God just said, Colossians 3, Colossians 3, Colossians 3. And um, it just kind of gave me four things that I want to share with you. As we look at these verses, there's a lot of theology in here. I'm not going to try to unpack it all theologically. You can talk to Jim Williams or Jose about that. I'll say a little bit, but there are four things that jumped out at me that I want to share with you. And if you're taking notes, write them down. This is Paul's letter to a church, the church in Colossae. And I want to give you four things to remember and put into practice in your life this year, starting today, that it may go well with you. All right, let's read Colossians chapter three. Uh, first, well, we're going to look at verses one through 16, but let's look at one through four first. 
So Paul is writing, but these words are, are breathed. They're God-breathed. This is God speaking. And Paul was used like you use a pen to write a letter. If then you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on earth. Here's why. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. If you want it to go well with you, and I know you do, in this year that is ahead of us, number one, if you're taking notes, remember your identity. Remember your identity Look at verse 1 again. Paul says, if you've been raised up with Christ, that can be translated since. Since you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above. That phrase, keep seeking, it means persevering effort. We would say like, go after it. Go after the things that are pleasing to God. Go after the things that are above, the things that are of eternal value. Why? Because that's where Christ is, it says, seated at the right hand of the Father. That's where Jesus is right now. He lived a sinless life. He walked this earth. He gave his life on the cross. He shed his sinless blood to cover your sin and my sin and the sin of the whole world. And then three days later, after he was buried, he rose again. He appeared to many people. The Bible says in Ephesians, he descended and then he ascended and he's seated at the right hand of the father right now. And you know what he's doing there? He's reigning over his children as king. He's reigning over you, and he's praying for you. I forget that sometimes. The book of Hebrews says that Jesus lives to make intercession for us. That's pretty amazing. So if you're kind of down today, but you're actually a follower of Jesus, that ought to pick up your heart a little bit, that Jesus loves you so much that he would even intercede for you. Now, because you belong to him, look at verse 2. Set your mind or your affections on things above, not on things that are on earth. That phrase, set your mind, that that means be intent. We might say be focused. Focus yourself on things above, not on things below. A pastor that I love and respect, John Corson, he lives in Southern Oregon. He prayed over me before my wife and I came up to plant solid rock. He says this, the only people who are truly happy on earth are those whose hearts are in heaven. (laughs) Do you agree with that? Do you agree with that? Sunset is funset. Come on, come on. Okay. Yeah. When I preached this sermon at Westside, the first, the first gathering said, do you believe that? It was silence. I go, you don't believe that. But the next gathering, they go, yeah. I go, where were you at eight o'clock? Anyway, so the only people who are truly happy on earth are those whose hearts are in heaven. In other words, if I'm looking for things of this earth to fully satisfy me, it's not going to happen because only Jesus can satisfy your soul. The happiest people on planet earth are those who are living life in light of eternity, realizing what really matters and what's going to last forever. Let me just give you three quick things that help me to set my mind on things above. The first one is treasure, where I put my treasure, my finances. The offering was passed a little while ago. I don't know where you're at in your giving to the Lord, but, um, you know, does God need our money? <laughs> he, he owns everything, belongs to him, including you. But he gives us the privilege to invest in eternal things. And so when that offering goes by and you, by faith, say, I'm going to 
tithe. I'm going to give 10% of my money to the Lord's work and trust that he's going to take care of me, which he will, by the way. You can never outgive God. What are you actually doing? You're actually investing in ministry. Jose leaves for Uganda tomorrow. And so when you put money in the offering that helps send him there to preach the gospel, he's going to talk like 400 pastors and do evangelism. And you're, you're going to be wondering, how's it going? You're going to be praying for Jose and you're going to wonder, hey, who got saved there and who, and how did it go with the pastors? You talked to 400 pastors and they went out and they went to their churches and they shared the gospel and people got saved. And you may not even know it till you're with the Lord one day that your investment was part of that. You're laying up treasure in heaven. But if I just invest in earthly things, that's what I'm going to care about. Now, like the stock market just crashed, right? 2016, whatever little money I had, I have 15% less now, right? You know, well, let's say I bought a hundred shares of Apple stock the day before the crash started, which I didn't, but let's say I did. What am I going to be doing? What happened to Apple? Oh my gosh, I just lost. I'm going to care. Now, I don't own any Apple stock, so I don't care what happens to Apple. I just want my iPhone. But anyway, um, I don't really care. But when I invest in eternal things, I do care. Jesus said, don't lay up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy and thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your what? Heart be also. So Jesus says, your heart is going to follow where you put your treasure. I would think it would be the opposite, okay? Oh, I just have such a heart, I'm going to put my treasure. You know, wherever you put your treasure, your heart's going to follow. And so when I invest, not just money, but time and treasure and and serve God's people, I'm investing in eternal things. So treasure helps me set my mind on things. But the second thing is trials. When something hard happens to me, but even more than that, to somebody I love, it just makes me think about eternity. Like when my little boy, Matt, he's 23 now, when he was eight, and suddenly he's hooked up to IVs, and they're saying he has juvenile diabetes and there's no cure. And now he has a pump that's hooked up to his body constantly. I just think, when we're with the Lord, no more pump, buddy, no more insulin. You're just going to be completely healed because in heaven, there's no more crying, no more tears, no more pain, no more sadness, no more sorrow. It's all passed away. My wife started going deaf at 26. If there's diabetes, if there's deafness, or your mom or dad or grandma or grandpa suddenly gets dementia, all these things, these trials make us set our mind on things above, realizing this world isn't all there is. The third thing is, is those who've gone on before, treasure trials and those who've gone before. My mom and dad are up there and I miss them. Um, my, I had great parents, but they weren't Jesus followers. And when I started following Jesus, I prayed for years that they wouldn't just believe in God, but actually be saved. And when my dad was 67 and my mom was 66, I baptized them in Jesus' name. Yeah, hallelujah, go ahead. Sunset is the fun set. All right, yeah. And the cool thing is, I gave my dad and my mom, Diane and I bought Bibles for each of them. My dad lived 10 more years to 77. And, at, and we did his memorial. And I got up to speak on behalf of my dad. I go, I, I'm a speaker. You know, I, I, can, I said, my dad. Ah! I just started like sobbing in front of everybody because I loved that. I just, it was embarrassing. You know, I couldn't even talk about how much I loved him. But from 67 to 77, he grew as a believer. He got discipled by his pastor. And so I said, mom, can I have that Bible back? So she gave me the Bible that I'd given to him. And I saw all these notes and I saw, I mean, I saw it in my dad, but I was able to see how he grew and I miss him. 
My mom lived another 10 years. And then when she went to be with the Lord, I asked my brothers, can I have that Bible back? So now I've got these two Bibles and they mean so much to me. So um, those who have gone on before, these things make us and help us to set our minds on things above. But how do you do this? You have to remember your new identity. You're not the same person you, you were before you met Jesus. Think for a minute. What was your life like before you met, with the, met the Lord? I know what mine was like. I was 19 years old. I was living, playing in a rock band, sexual immorality, all kind of depressed, up and down. And then I met Jesus like I was a whole new person. I read through the whole New Testament in a few months. And I didn't have a church like this. I went back to this dead church. And so it took me a while to start walking with the Lord. But I know darkness and I know Jesus, the light of the world. He changed my life and he changed most of yours here today. If he hasn't yet, if you have not given your life to him, you can do it today. We're going to give you that opportunity today. Today is, the Bible says, today is the day of salvation. You know why? Because you don't know if you have tomorrow. <laughs> Sometimes you think, yeah, maybe I know I should get baptized. Maybe I'll do that. No, if, you're, if you need to get baptized, get baptized now. <laughs> the Lord always tells you the next thing to do. And if you've been thinking and your wife's been talking to you or somebody's saying, you know what? You need to give your life to Jesus. Yeah, I know I do. Do it. It's the, it's the most important decision you will ever make because not only will you experience life that is truly life right here and now, it will set where you will be forever. Isn't that awesome? Jesus forgives you of all your sin and he takes you to be with him forever and ever. So there's no decision. You know, there's a lot of important decisions in life, who you marry and all that kind of stuff, but there's nothing more important than where am I going to spend eternity? Isn't it amazing? We give all the salt, like, where should I invest my money? And should I buy that car or not? And should I marry her? Those are huge decisions, right? But yet, people that make those decisions don't ever think about where am I going to be for eternity? And so, man, if you've never given your life to him, today's the day of salvation. So here, we're talking about once you give your life to Christ, you're not the same person. Second Corinthians chapter 5 says, if any man or woman is in Christ, they have a new identity. They're a new creation, it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17. The old things have passed away. They're gone. Behold, new things have come. You're not the same person anymore. Look at verse 3 right here. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When you give your life to Jesus, the old you is dead. You're a new person. I heard this story about two sisters before they met the Lord, they were like partiers, party animals. They used to party hard. They both got saved at the same time, but they were still getting invitations to parties, kind of like I did when I'm back in my rock band days. So when they got the next one, they RSVP'd and they said, we regret that we cannot attend because we recently died. <laughs> I like that. I'm sure that raised some eyebrows. But anyway, Paul said in Galatians... Chapter 2, verse 20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. What's that mean? He goes, I, if you're crucified, you're dead. I died, but I am still alive. He goes, the old Paul died, nevertheless I live, but it's not I. It's Christ in me, and, the now, and now the life I live, it's not me anymore. It's Christ living his life through me. And that's what really he's talking about here in Colossians chapter 3. If you want things to go well with you in 2016, remember who you are. Remember whose you are if you belong to him. And again, if you don't, give your life to him today. You have a high and holy calling. Set your mind on things above. Like that song that we used to sing says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. 
Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. See, when I set my mind on things above, it doesn't mean I don't enjoy the things of earth. I just see them differently. They're blessings from God. He's given us all good things to enjoy, but I'm not looking at them to give me life. I'm not worshiping them. I'm worshiping the giver of those gifts. And in some ways, they don't compare with Christ himself. So remember this in the year to come. I don't know. Um, I have a question for you. Have you set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father? Is that where you're finding life? Or are you looking for Things, other people, money, relationships, him, her, to truly satisfy your children, whatever it might be. Only Jesus can satisfy the soul. Are you living out this new identity that you possess? Remember who you are in this year, a passionate Jesus follower. Live like it, and it will go well with you. Let's read on. Verse 5. Paul says, therefore, whenever you see a therefore, you ask yourself, what is it? Therefore. He says, because of who you are. You have a new identity now. Consider the members of your earthly body as dead to sexual immorality, impurity, passion. The NIV there uses the word lust. Passion can be good or bad depending on on what you're passionate about. Here it's used negatively. Evil desire and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is on account of these things that the wrath of God will come. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, or rage, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there's no distinction between Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian and Scythian, slave and freeman, but Christ is all and in all. If you want it to go well with you in 2016, remember your new identity. And secondly, number two, if you're taking notes, dress accordingly. <laughs> dress accordingly. Paul uses this analogy of taking off and putting on a suit of clothing. He's saying, get rid of those old dirty clothes you used to walk around in and put on your new ones. And then he gives us some examples here. This isn't an exhaustive list, but this is the kind of clothes you used to walk around in. And he says, don't wear those clothes anymore because you're not that person anymore. First one is sexual immorality. Greek word there is porneia, which refers to sexual sin of any kind. Obviously adultery with another person if you're married, but if you're not married, just sexual activity of any kind with another person is sin. The one place sex is beautiful and sanctioned and blessed and created by God is between one man and one woman in a committed bond of marriage. That's God's will. That's God's blessing. That's God's plan. Pornography, all these things. says, Get rid of that stuff. That's who you used to be, not anymore. Secondly, impurity. Then he mentions greed. What's greed? Wanting more. You know, uh, Steve Marshman, one of the elders here, you know, he, 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 help, he helps people kind of sometimes. He's too busy now, but with investments and stuff. But he was trying to explain the stock market to me. He said, Phil, all you got to understand about the stock market, it's driven by two things, fear and greed. <laughs> 
It's like, oh man, well, we can make more. Maybe we can make some more. Oh no, oh no. You know, and so greed is just wanting more. Well, that's America, right? You think you're okay until this commercial comes on. You need the new Audi Q7. You know, like, yeah, I really need that. You know, and, and so it's just wanting more. Anger, malice. What's malice? Attorneys use that word. It's ill will towards another person, wishing them to be hurt. And he says, lay aside. You used to, you used to want to get back at somebody who hurt you, but you're not that person anymore. You know, uh, today's Proverbs. I, I read Proverbs pretty much every day. I read the book 12 times in a year. On whatever day it is, today is the 24th. I read Proverbs 24. Interesting. Here it is. God says, don't rejoice. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles lest the Lord see it and be displeased. Why is that? Because God causes the good to fall on everyone. And Jesus said, don't just love your friends, love your who? Enemies. So if I start wishing evil on someone, I'm, not, I'm wearing my old clothes. Next mentioned is slander. What's slander? That's speaking badly about someone. You might say, oh yeah, I'm not, I wouldn't like cuss someone out, but... Do you gossip about them behind their back or not tell the whole story? Get rid of that. You don't live like that anymore. And then abusive speech or filthy language. Get rid of those clothes. Here's why. Look at verse 7. In them you also once walked when you were living in them. That's who you used to be. But your life has changed. You don't dress that way anymore because you aren't that person anymore. In Romans chapter 6, Paul put it this way. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? See, before I met Jesus, I was governed by sin, even though I didn't really know it. But now, you and I were governed not by sin, but by him. So put on your new clothes. In verse 12, let's take a look at it. Here, Paul describes what these new clothes, this new identity, what it looks like, how we are to dress. Verse 12, and so, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved. Again, that's your new identity. You're chosen of God. You're holy, you're loved by God. Because of that, therefore, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And then verse 14, and beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Now, this isn't an exhausting list. This, this isn't your entire wardrobe, but it's a pretty good one. Don't you think? Don't you think? Yeah. Sunset is funset. You would like this kind of a person who's compassionate, who's kind, who's humble, who's gentle, who forgives you, who's full of love. Like, I want to be around that, that kind of person. And that's why people wanted to be around Jesus, by the way, because he, as we're going to see in a moment, was all these things. Let's take a look at him real quick. As those who have been chosen of God, put on, first of all, a heart of compassion. What is compassion? To put on a heart of compassion is to have tender mercy towards those who are in pain or hurting. To care about the problems of other people. To have compassion for them. Compassion is a characteristic of God himself. In Exodus chapter 34, where God says, this is what I'm like. The first thing he says, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. That's how God says, this is what I'm like. I'm compassionate. In Matthew chapter 9, we read that Jesus, as he went around and he looked at all these multitudes of people that were following him, he looked on the multitudes and felt what? What did he feel? Do you know? 
compassion for them because they were downcast and distressed like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus, of course, is God, feels compassion for you and me when we're hurting, when we're confused, and when we're going through hard times. And this passage is saying, since you died with him and you've been raised with him because you're in Christ now and he is in you, his compassion becomes yours. You, his compassion flows through you to the people around you. Put on compassion. Unfortunately, the people closest to us are often the ones that get treated the worst by us, starting with our marriages sometimes. That's not who we, sh- who we are anymore. Secondly, just put on kindness. Now, when I hear the word kind, I used to think kind, kind is just like a really nice, ooey-gooey feeling. Until you study this in the New Testament, the word kind in Greek, it means doing something useful for another person. If right now I said to you, think of a kind person. The first thing you think of them, the next thing you're going to think, I say, why are they kind? You're going to think immediately because of something they did for you or they did for somebody else that you thought, wow, I didn't do that. I didn't even think about doing that. That was like, that was so kind. And that's where, how God is towards us. He, he is kind. But, um, you know, my, uh, my wife's dad, he died about a year ago. Um, my wife, Diane, drove them up. They're living in Sacramento, California, drove them up. He had a, a lung disease, and we thought maybe he'd live another year or two, and so they knew they needed to get, they couldn't live in a house anymore. They needed to get into a, an assisted living place, so they were going to move into Hearthstone, which is over in Beaverton. It's a really great place there. And so Diane drove them up. They got to our house on a Saturday. Uh, they were going to, Sunday, a bunch of us moved their furniture in. They were staying at our house. They couldn't get in until they went to a doctor's appointment and established care with a local doctor, which they were going to do Monday afternoon. And then Tuesday, they were moving in. Monday, around 1 o'clock before the appointment in our house, he died. And so Diane's mom, who lived her whole life in California, married 62 years, comes up with her husband, Jack. We're going to move into this place together. Suddenly, she's a widow. It's been a tough year for her. But here's the thing. Hearthstone is like the perfect place for her. If you've ever been to that place, it's just loaded with all these older saints, all these God, mostly women. The guys all die. Anyway, it's like, you know, I don't go get that, Jose. We kill ourselves and our wives outlive us by 20 years. Whatever. Anyway, it's one of the questions I have for Jesus. Anyway, so there's this lady there. This story has a point. Okay. Uh, there's this lady there. I don't, I haven't met her, but her name's Jackie, I found out. And there's this other lady whom I also haven't met named Shirley, but I keep hearing about Shirley because she became friends with my wife's mom. And so Jackie's got plenty of money, Shirley not so much. And so it's expensive to stay there. And so Shirley was running out of money. She was going to get kicked out basically. So Jackie goes to the management because she knows their policies. And, you know, like every organization, she said, look, I know what your policy is, but I want to ask you to make an exception because I have a two bedroom apartment and I want her to move in with me. So the board talked about it, and they decided to make an exception. And so Shirley, this sweet old lady who was going to get kicked out, gets to stay. Now, that was a deed of kindness. I think that kind of made Jesus happy. I think he was kind of happy with the decision the board made as well. And so I was sharing the story at Westside a couple weeks ago, and this lady comes up. She goes, I know Shirley. <laughs> and it was, I didn't know it was Jackie. It was so amazing. You know? so, so I go, well, go make sure I got the right people. So she did, and I do. All right, so the story's accurate, all right? <laughs> Sometimes you stretch the story and give God the glory. No, that's like that. No, I'm just teasing. I'm, I'm just, <laughs> that's a joke. <laughs> I told you the story straight up. 
So it can be something huge like that, or it can be something as small as this amazing cup of Pete's coffee that Kurt Prebstel, who came to the intentional conference and heard that I love Pete's coffee, came up to me yesterday. He goes, I'm coming to the 11 o'clock. What do you want from Pete's? I go, are you kidding me? So he gets his iPhone out. He goes, what kind of coffee do you want? So I told him, I want a small coffee. You brought me a medium. See, you get extra reward in heaven. Okay. I said, with a decaf ad shot and a splash of cream. So here it was. That's why I'm so wired. Okay. So anyway, I think today for some of you, this is for you. You know, in this whole sermon, the one thing God wants to say to you is, I want you to be kind, and I actually have a specific deed of kindness I'm leading you to do today. And if that's you, you're thinking of it right now. And if you realize, I'm a new creation, I have a new identity, therefore, I'm going to put on kindness, I'm going to go bless this person. It might be something as simple, I offered to pay him, he wouldn't accept it, but uh, it might be as simple as that, it might be something much more... Uh, expensive or bigger, but God will bless you for it. So put on compassion, put on kindness. We're to clothe ourselves with this kindness. By the way, kindness is a fruit of the spirit. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Next mentioned is humility and gentleness. Humility is, if you study it, it's, it's thinking lowly of yourself. Actually, it means not thinking of yourself at all but caring for other people. What's gentleness? Gentleness is not, lo- not using force to get your own way. And, and I need to be more gentle. Sometimes with my wife or whoever, it's like, I'm going to convince them. I'm, I'm going to get, I want this. I think this is what we should do. And, I, and instead of being full of humility and gentleness, I'm going to try to force my way. Isn't it interesting in Matthew 18, Jesus said, hey, come to me if you're tired, weary, and burdened. And I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am, you know what it says? Gentle and humble of heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. Jesus is the gentle one. Jesus is the humble one. And as we put on him, we are these things. Next, patience. Maybe you say, I'm just not a patient person. No, that's who you used to be. In the flesh, you're not patient. Your old clothes, you weren't patient. The word here is macrothemeo. It means long suffering. It's the ability to be hurt and hurt and wronged and wronged and not retaliate. You know who's that way? God. We have sinned against him and he didn't say, you know what? That's like number 349. Done with you. Aren't you glad the Lord isn't like that? We do that to people sometimes. Like, you know, you just ticked me off too many times. You don't really like me anyway. And I don't like you either. So get out of my life. That's how we can be in the flesh. And as a follower of Jesus, you can walk in the flesh and quench the spirit and grieve the spirit, or you can be filled with the spirit and have God empower you to live this new identity. Second Peter 3, 9 says, God, the Lord is patient toward you and me, not wishing for any of us to perish, but for all to come to repentance. His patience becomes our patience and we're able to bear with each other and forgive each other like we're told to do here. How are we going to do that? It says, forgive just as you have been forgiven. How much of your sin did Jesus forgive on the cross? Some of it or all of it. So who are we to turn around then and not forgive someone else when God's forgiven us of everything? And man, I'm convicted every time I read this because it's not God's way. Jesus himself, when he was dying on the cross and they were hurling abuse and insults at him, yeah, you say you're the son of God, why don't you just come down that? And they're gambling for his clothes. He didn't say, yeah, you guys, you're going to get yours. And by the way, you know what happens when you insult God? No, he said, Father, what? 
forgive them. And it says in Second, First Peter chapter 2 that while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept, what did he do? He kept entrusting himself to him who judges rights. He trusted his life to the Father. And so this wraps up here in verse 14, all these beautiful qualities. Finally, in verse 14, it says, put on love which is the perfect bond of unity. It's like the belt that wraps it all together as love. Remember, he's talking to a church here. He's saying, you, the church in Colossae, I want you to be compassionate towards one another, patient towards one another, kind towards one another, and more than anything, wrapping it all up, love one another. It's the perfect bond of unity because hate, hatred divides people, love unites people. Proverbs chapter 10 says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. Once I got asked, hey, Phil, how do you define a mature Christian? And I don't even know where I, how I figured it out, but it came out of my mouth. I said, the sign of maturity is love. Not like how many scriptures you've memorized. Well, I've been through the book of Romans three times. You know, I'm super spiritual. No, it's how loving are you? You know, when we teach our parenting conference, we say, well, let's begin where God begins. Deuteronomy 6, he says to his people, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. These things I'm commanding you shall be on your heart, and you'll teach them to your children. Then they asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment in all the Bible? Trying to trick him. He quoted that, the great, the great Shema. He quoted Deuteronomy 6, you'll love the Lord your God with all your heart. He said there's a second like it or link to it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Loving God with passion, loving people with with, uh, on purpose, those two things, he says, everything else hangs on that. <laughs> That's why I say the sign of maturity is how well we love. And God is love. And when we have him, we have this new identity. He gives us the power to love the way he does. Your home should be a place not where hatred lives, but where love lives. You who are married, are you walking in the flesh? Are you tiptoeing around each other on eggshells because... You've spoken harshly to one another and you haven't resolved the conflict. You haven't asked forgiveness. You haven't repented. Your home should be a place where love reigns. Guys, your wife, you, you husbands, your wife should feel secure in your love, not feeling like she has to tiptoe around you lest you give her a mean glance or whatever. A couple years ago, my wife and I, we sold our house on Bull Mountain and we got this little 1,200 square foot fixer-upper. We remodeled it real nice, a little cottage. But it's small and I have an office there and she has this little kind of cabin thing in the back where she has her little office. We can wave at each other. But when she comes into the house to make tea or something, like I'm right there. And I'm like this really loud person. And, you know, that's a nice way of putting it. (laughs) Anyway, you know, and so she's an introvert, you know, and she's lost her hearing. Sometimes she has her hearing thing off. And so anyway, she's just sweet and kind and more mellow. And and, and so sometimes she'll walk in and she'll want to talk to me and she'll look over at me to ask me something, but I'm working and I'll just kind of look at her like, what? And I don't think I'm looking mean, but when you say to your wife, what? Like, what do you want? So what I've learned is this. She likes it when I smile at her. Because she knows I like, I love her, but she wants to know that I like her. 
So she gets up like way before me, like an hour before me. She goes out to this little cottage. She doesn't hear anything. She's completely deaf. She has this listening device she can put on, a cochlear implant. But in the morning, she doesn't put it on. She doesn't hear anything but the Lord with her Bible open. But a lot of times I'm up, then I'm reading my Bible in this little part of the house, and she comes inside. And normally I just, like, she would kind of avoid me because I just, like, look over at her. Yeah, good morning. I'm my cop. You know, what I tried doing when I found out that she likes it when I smile at her, now when she comes in, I put myself down and I walk over to her and I... I smile at her. And then I give her a hug. You know what she said? She goes, I really like you better this way. <laughs> you know? And, and I'm, I'm starting to do it now. It's actually an act of kindness. Is to say, I don't want to be a mean grump in the house. I want to love you because she's amazing. The Bible does say better is a dish of vegetables where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. But how do I actually do this? It isn't going to just happen. I have to choose to live out my new identity. Did you notice that all these things were to put on are characteristics of Jesus himself? So isn't it interesting that Romans 13, 14 says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lusts. When you got up this morning, you decided what to wear to come to church. And the Bible says when you get up in the morning every day and you put your clothes on, you should put on the Lord Jesus Christ and wear him. That's really what this passage is saying. This is going to involve a surrender on your part and my part every day and in every way, but it's a blessed surrender. George Fox said this, when I gave him my will... So you can choose today to walk in the spirit or walk in the flesh. Me too. When I gave him my will, he came to my heart and he took out all that would not be sweet, all that would not be kind and all that would not be patient. And then he shut the door. (laughs) I like that. As I focus on him and I say, I'm a new creation. I died, but I'm still alive. And I want to dress accordingly. God, fill me with your spirit. Jesus, you are all these things. You know, it says in John 8, 29, Jesus says, Jesus said this, I always do the things that are pleasing to my father. Wow. But he lives in you and me. So if he always does the things that are pleasing to the father and he lives in you, as you choose to be filled with the spirit, to say no to sin and yes to him, then these things start to become part of your life as he literally lives his life in and through you. You're still super involved. He uses your personality. He uses your heart. He uses your hands, your feet, your mind. But Jesus did that by an act of his will. I always do the things that are pleasing to my father. He got up early in the morning and spent time with his father out out in the wilderness. He walked with his father, and he's our example. It's up to you and me to choose to put things out of our life to not wear the old clothes, and to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, those are two things. Remember your new identity, dress accordingly. I have two more, but they're really fast, trust me. Those are the two long ones. I am having fun, though, so pray I don't have too much fun or you won't, you'll miss lunch. Okay, let's read on. <coughs> uh, verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. That's the third thing. If you want to have a great 2016, you want it to go well with you, be thankful. Live a life filled with thanksgiving. Psalm 92, one says, it is good to give thanks to the Lord. You know what that means? It's good for you to give thanks to the Lord. It's good for me to give thanks to the Lord, to worship him and to, and to be filled with thanksgiving. There's some things in the Bible that God says are actually good for us to do. Like it says, the merciful man or woman does themselves good. 
when I choose to, to not judge someone or condemn someone or be bitter towards someone, but to extend mercy to them any, when they hurt, hurt me, not only am I pleasing Jesus, I'm doing myself good. Because by forgiving them, my own heart doesn't become bitter and angry. Because if you become bitter, it eats you alive and it leaks out to everybody around you. So the merciful man, the merciful woman who forgives instead of judges does himself good. And the thankful man or woman does themselves good right here. Now, the opposite of being thankful is grumbling. (laughs) And some of us know what that's like. Grumbling is an outward evidence of inner ingratitude. Instead of being grateful and thankful for what we do have, we grumble about what we don't have. And it could be the, something huge, something small. Like for me, I'll be honest with you, I struggle with all the rain here. I grew up in California. And there are times when I go, this is rain and moss. You know what God thinks of that? He's not happy about it. When I start grumbling about the rain, instead of looking at my life like, I got to, with some of you guys, be involved in this church, which became a move of God, and my wife is amazing, and my kids are all saved and walking with the Lord, and my grandkids are starting to come to Christ, and my, I have so many blessings in my life, my cup runneth over. I go, it's another rainy day. You know? <laughs> Listen, God's not too happy with that. I become like the children of Israel. Remember, they wandered in the wilderness. You know why they wandered for the wilderness in 40 years? If you lose the geography, it should have been an 11-day journey. 11 days became 40 years. You know why? Because they were grumbling and complaining, and God had discipline in them, judged them. And it was over the food. They got tired of the manna. Every day, they weren't starving. God said, I'm going to give you manna every day. Go collect it. And then one day a week, I'm going to give you double. So you don't have to work on the Sabbath. You can eat. And so they got tired of it. It says it tasted like wafers with honey. They were tired of that particular food. And they want, they go, we want to go back to Egypt. They were in bondage in Egypt. And one of the reasons, if you study it, they liked the food better. It was spicier. Well, how did that work out for them? They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and they died. End of story. And so you can grumble your way through 2016 and you'll die inside. Or you can be a thankful person. And I'm preaching to myself. My son, John Mark, just went down to San Francisco for a week. He taught at Reality San Francisco, which is a great church, on two Sundays and taught in between. Anyway, he comes back. He goes, Dad, I finally understand why you struggle with the weather here. <laughs> you know, he goes, he goes, I was just in my shirt sleeves and it was sunny and kind of 68 degrees. And he goes, like, you were 40 when you moved up here, right? I go, no, 41. <laughs> you know? And so, but so he, he said, I have compassion for you, but it's no excuse for me to complain about it because who cares? It's beautiful here. And what's life anyway? Like one thing I've noticed when it's sunny here, like I thank God for it. <laughs> I become a worshiper down there. I didn't even notice it. Here suddenly it's like, thank you for this gorgeous day, Lord. Actually, that, I'm so grateful to you, and I should be grateful for the rain. See, I'm not really godly yet. When I get godly, I'll be grateful for the rain. But, okay, I've been preaching for a long time because I'm old. But anyway, before iPhones, before laptops, pastors use illustration files because you're gathering quotes and Xerox and stuff. And so I have this big file, A through Z, you know, files on trials and temptation and Genesis and stuff. So I th- I'm going to go, you know, so when I'm preparing a sermon, I go grab these different files. Oh, I'm talking about Thanksgiving. Let's find out. I got a quote from Jim Williams on bitterness. I'm going to use that, you know. So I went to my file, to the T section, trials, temptation. There's nothing on Thanksgiving. I must have filed it under gratitude. So I went to G, Genesis, greed, 
There's nothing. I must have put it under praise. So I went over to P, perseverance, Paul, nothing on praise. And and God kind of said to me, you need to work on this. (laughs) So so I now I'm going to start this file. I'll tell you, Jose told me what to put in and a lady got saved the last hour. And she is so grateful to God. She said she was tingling when she gave her life to the Lord. And so that can go in my Thanksgiving file. But anyway, because God saved somebody today. You know, in Luke 15, it says when one person gives their life to Christ, and that may be you this very hour, the whole angels in heaven throw a party. The angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner who repents. There's a party going on in heaven, so I thought I better join it (laughs) and be glad. All right, I got to move on. I'm having way too much fun. All right, so. Fun set. All right. As followers of Jesus, we ought to be the most thankful people on planet earth, right? All our sins forgiven, glorious future awaits us. And Jesus says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'm going to be with you even in the trials. Thanksgiving is a discipline, but it changes your perspective. Your thoughts become, God's thoughts become your thoughts. His priorities become your priorities. You know, recently an 80 year old lady was talking to Diana me and she goes, why did I have to get so old? And Diane didn't want to say it to her face. We said, lady, so we should have told her you got old because you didn't die young. <laughs> sure, it's greater to be 18 and running marathons like Jose is than to be 80 when your body aches more. But if you're 80, it's because you didn't die young. There are grieving parents whose two and a half year old boy died. And so it's all perspective. And so in everything, give thanks. The Bible says in First Thessalonians 5, First Thessalonians 5, not for everything. Oh, God, thank you that my son has diabetes. Thank you that my wife is deaf. No, in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. One more and we'll be done. Let's look at verse 16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to, the, to God. And then verse 17 kind of completes the thought. I'm not going to talk about that, but it says, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord. But look at verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell within you. In 2016, if you wanted to go well with you, read the Bible. (laughs) Remember your new identity. Dress accordingly. Be thankful and read the Bible. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. It says in Proverbs, he who gives attention to the word shall find good. We need to live in this book, in the scriptures, because we forget the things we should remember. And we remember things God says, forget about it. I've forgiven that. Don't dwell on the past. Forget what lies behind. Focus on what's ahead. When I spend time morning by morning in the scriptures, God corrects my thinking. He guides my path. He changes my perspective. I got this Bible signed by Dr. John Mitchell, who founded Multnomah School of the Bible. And I asked him, would you please sign my Bible? He said, sure, Phil. And he quoted this verse. May the word of Christ richly dwell within you and thus become a usable vessel for our Lord. (laughs) In other words, we love you, John G. Mitchell. So you want to be used by God? Let this word of Christ richly dwell within you and you'll be usable. Man, I read that quite often. Psalm 1 says that when we meditate on God's word, not just read it, but dwell on it and make it part of our being, we're like a tree firmly planted by streams of living water. We bear fruit. Our leaves don't wither. And whatever we do, we prosper. It goes well with us. One of the churches that's in our family, Bridgetown, they're doing the whole series now. They're going through the Bible. It's called the Year of Bible Literacy. 
And um, every week there's an elder at Bridgetown, Peter Quint, who finds Jose, finds Dominic, whoever's preaching. He finds the three preachers. He says, what are your prayer requests? And he will find you because <laughs> he's that passionate about prayer. So I was reading Bridgetown's prayer request. My son, John Mark, is preaching there tonight. And, it, and, and one of them was, pray that the people at Bridgetown would get into the scriptures because it will shape who they are as followers of Jesus. And pray that the people at Bridgetown will read the scriptures. And so that's what it is right here. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. It will change you and you will be a blessing to the people around you. So these are the four things I wanted to share with you today that it may go well with you in this year that we have entered and by God's grace will complete. But you know, we don't know the days that are ordained for us, but I want you to say it with me out loud and then we're gonna pray. If you want it to go well with you in 2016, remember your identity. Say it with me. Remember. Dress accordingly. Be thankful. Read the Bible. If you will not just remember these four things, but live them out through the power of God's spirit within you, it'll go well with you this year. I guarantee it. Whatever comes your way, because you will be walking with Jesus. Amen.